Good heavens, it's a Bobcast. Welcome to episode 11. Thanks a lot for joining me. I'm your host, Bob Evans, a.k.a. Kevin Mitchell. I don't know even know if that's the right way to, to call it now. I don't even know who I am anymore. Um, but thanks a lot for joining us uh, once again. So, very excited about uh, a lot of things that are going on at the moment. Uh, the main thing that I want to quickly talk about is the tour that I'm doing with Josh Pike, which is happening uh, through November and December. Uh, Josh and I are sort of doing a 10th anniversary version of a tour that we did, <laughs> you guessed it, 10 years ago. Uh, but this is going to be different. We're going to play for two and a half hours and we're going to be on stage the whole time together playing through each other's songs backing each other up it's going to be really really cool i've just been spending the last few days learning his songs which is a real challenge because as any josh pike fan out there will know uh his songs are very wordy and have a lot of chords in them and i have to learn all of them and all the harmonies but it's been a lot of fun and it's given me a real appreciation too into um just how fucking great his songs are so it's going to be heaps of fun some of the, the the ticket sales have been going great thanks to everyone who's bought tickets so far some of the shows are already pretty much sold out in fact by the time you hear this some of them might be um but if you want to check out all the details and the tickets go to my website bobevans.com.au or just check out my facebook um page as well it's got all the dates there uh, it's going to be awesome um and also too in november jeb and i are going to be doing a day on the green uh, with something for Kate and you are mine, Spider Bait and the Meanies, doing a day in the green tour all over at wineries all over the country, which is going to be really cool as well. So once again, uh, just go to uh, the Jebediah. Well, for that, go to the Jebediah um, website, which is jebediah.net, uh, for all the ticketing details there. It's going to be cool. Okay, so the Bobcast tonight. Uh, I'm talking via Skype. Uh, with my friend Luke Boredom, who is the lead singer of uh, the fantastic Brisbane rock and roll band Violent Soho, uh, who have very quickly risen over the last few years to become, you know, one of the most popular rock and roll bands in the country. I think it's been amazing. We had the great pleasure, Jebediah had the great pleasure of um, taking Violent Soho on tour when we. Um, were touring our last album, Kosciuszko, back in 2011. And they're just a brilliant band. And I don't need to wax lyrical about how great they are. Uh, a lot of people will already know. But um, So I have this chat with Luke. Uh, he's, a, he's a very intelligent, funny, warm, wonderful man. And uh, we talk about a lot of interesting stuff. I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to check out the Spotify playlist that... Um, soundtracks this this uh bobcast uh so go to spotify it's called good evans it's a bobcast soundtrack it's pretty easy to find and you'll hear all the selections that my guests have uh, made over the course of this podcast um there's a lot of songs on there now it's getting pretty deep uh so yeah once again as always be warned there will be explicit language there are drug references there are naughty words. If you don't like that kind of stuff, maybe this podcast isn't for you. Otherwise, <laughs> enjoy. Episode, I think I've said everything I need to say. Yeah. This is episode 11 of Good Evans. It's a Bobcast. 
Ladies and gentlemen of the Bobcast, welcome to my guest for tonight via Skype, all the way from Bruce Vegas, lead singer of Violet Soho, Mr. Luke Bordham. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. We have to start by um, just prefacing the technical issues that we've been having uh, tonight. This is actually take two. We were talking for about, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes minutes or something. (laughs) And we've lost it all. (laughs) We were having so many technical problems uh, and it was becoming such an issue, we just got. To, we just decided we're just going to start again, and so that's where we're at. That's okay. <laughs> Let's. So, so tell me by starting off, um, as we have, we've spoken a little bit about this already, but I do want to, like, I, th- I think it's cool to kind of go over it again. Today, the ARIA nominations were announced, and Violent Soho, congratulations, were nominated for a bunch. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm interested to kind of know, like, what your relationship with the you know with the whole concept of aria awards and stuff is you know what kind of history you've had and and i guess yeah just how it feels to kind of be a player in that in that kind of world um yeah i think you know as this was saying i kind of said this a few times today because we went to the whole <laughs> press release thing yeah yeah well sorry yeah. the event the artisan where they kind of named they do the nominations and then they also give yeah. out the artisan awards and stuff and um yeah, like it's it's kind of weird because you don't you know Avanso I'm pretty sure Jebediah and you, you know heaps of bands would all be in the same boat where they don't necessarily start a band or tour in a band or work their butts off just so they can win an aria. It's not like the yeah. pinnacle of success. Yeah, because <laughs> you know yeah. you you bang your head against the wall for like you know for years and years working and touring and then you know it's it's basically you do it because you love music really. Yeah, and you love you know being in a band and you know so. Yeah. You know, there was one point where, and I actually wish I remembered this today because when people kept asking me how it felt to be nominated, it just had that kind of good. <laughs> it feels good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, but you know, I was I was as a staying before it felt, you know, back when we came back from America, and we got home and we were living with our parents. Um, some of us were in debt. It was pretty low point for our band and basically and um, sorry when was this just to put it in so, oh so so that was we're in 2010 yeah so yeah we we had done a whole year in america we'd done nearly 200 shows we'd done the whole major label thing we we're on thurston moore's record label which is under universal so we started out doing all these awesome like indie shows of built to spill and dinosaur jr and ravenettes and then yeah, we, amazing opportunities yeah. oh incredible. it was great you know and like you know so we're having time of our lives and then you know yeah. it, it went as time went on and and the record was being pushed over there, we had to start doing radio circuits and like acoustic radio shows, and then it literally finished with supporting Thirty Seconds to Mars. So, <laughs> right. so what was we went from we went from Built to Spill in college towns playing, you know, Built to Spill showing us America, all these college towns, to yep. finishing with Thirty Seconds to Mars. So we got back home, you know. Give us a, give <laughs> us an insight into what touring with Thirty Seconds to Mars is now. Thirty Seconds. I don't know much oh. about Thirty Seconds to Mars. All I know. And uh, I, feel, like, I think stories. I know it's the lead singer is Jared Leto, yeah. right? The yeah, Leto. and obviously uh, a multi-talented human somehow yep. scares me because one time someone told me his age. I think it's forty-one at the time. I think I think he's in his forties, and it scares me. He's like me. fifty-eight or something. Yeah, <laughs> and it's scary. It's like oh, he's an alien. Like yeah, I don't actually yeah. have I another explanation. I think a lot of those Hollywood. I think a lot of Hollywood just, people are a bit. 
like that, right? Oh. I mean, yeah, it was just we. I was just like, man, we're like twenty years younger than you, and no one, no one looks like that. Like I don't understand. <laughs> I just, it just, I remember we walked, we were saying goodbye. We, I went up and I was like, oh, there's the last show. We did like, I think we did something 10, 15 days. It wasn't the biggest tour. We kind of just did a section of it with him. And yeah, I walked up and <laughs> basically just finished this and his shirt was off. And I was just shocked because yeah. I was just like, whoa. I was like, that guy's got this massive six pack as well. Like this guy is Were you crazy. staring, Luke? No, I wasn't. <laughs> did you get caught staring? No, but my wife was with me. I think she was. So. <laughs> and, um. When we were when we were on tour together, our bands were on tour together in 2011, which was just after that. I do remember you telling a story. Oh, really? <laughs> about t- touring with them, and yeah. it was. And I don't want to tell the story for you, but I'm hoping I can jog your memory. It was oh. something about like because they were kind of a they were big. Were they like arena shows? They, they were. Big oh yeah, like th- three thousand cap um, rooms. Yeah. And you told me a story that when there was this moment during this set where he kind of leaves the stage and he came through your backstage room to kind of go back onto the stage. I don't know if it was before an encore or something and you guys were all sitting in there and do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, we were, so, we were high. We were high out of our brains watching Jaws. And yeah. and like we watched the show a few times and they had all this the- theatrical trickery. They had crowd samples. They had they had a dude side of the stage who ran like three MacBooks and guitars and all this crowd trickery going on, like crowd samples. Yeah. Um, and anyway... We knew there's a part in the set where he disappears and then his brother, who's the drummer, does this huge like 10-minute drum solo thing by himself, you know, which if you're if you're in a band with your brother who's a drummer, you're going to have to let him do that, obviously. I, I'm in a band where my brother's a drummer and oh, we've he's tried to make him do solos and he will never do he's it. He's an exception. He's just a legend. And, um, and basically we... So every night he'd disappear and he'd go through some passageway and then he'd do this thing where he'd pop up at the back of the crowd with sunnies on, like with full reflective <laughs> Ray-Bans with a white suit. Yeah. It was just crazy. We, like, we were and like going from these indie bands to this full-on like, major label machine to like millions of records. Like This was the type of stuff yeah. they did. And we're just like, oh, okay, yeah. this is America. Whoa. And, um, and basically one night we got caught out because... First few nights, we do the respectful thing of, you know, watching side of stage and going out the front going, wow, yeah. you know. And then <laughs> and one night we were, we just, it was this, one of these hard rock cafes, probably like two and a half thousand cat venue or something. And yeah, we were all of us, the whole touring party, like everyone was just sitting around high watching Jaws while they were playing. And then, this, <laughs> and then he comes running in sweating with the set. Yeah. And he just, and like, we we're like, oh shit, we got, and we were just all paranoid. We we're like, oh, we got caught. <laughs> <laughs> like we're not you know and it, it felt weird because we're like oh it's jared leto like are you meant to should we be in the crowd of crap like we haven't we haven't paid our respects like we didn't know and we was like but we just want to watch jaws like we, surely we can just watch jaws right and then he just looked at us he just stared us down and, and like it, it was it felt like it lasted for minutes it would have been like you know five seconds he just stared yeah, us all down and, yeah and then yeah. stared at the tv and stared back at us and then kind of goes huh and then walked and just walked and did his you know magician's trick so it was it just it was kind of terrifying <laughs> so you know you think that he was like just a little bit kind of a little bit like i think so guys you know by the idea that you weren't watching the show yeah or you know either that or we looked really high like and it was just obvious, <laughs> like, so he's just looking at us going oh i get it your mega stoned is all right, and I've got a bit of a theory about, and you know, I hope this doesn't come across as that too much of a 
kind of slap in the face to actors. Like, anyway, this is my theory, right? People whose leading profession is acting, when they do music, I find that sometimes they act the way they think that a musician or a rock star is supposed to act. You know, it's like okay. there's, they're so in that world of acting that it's like like there's an element of their performance that's st- when they're doing music that's still kind of yeah, acting, yeah. Li- acting like a rock star, you know? Oh, 100%. And I'm not saying that music- you- there are a lot of musicians that do that as well, you know, and they're probably yeah. a lot worse at it because they're not natural actors. But sometimes I just get a sense that, that sometimes that happens, you know? I, you know, I mean, having to, directly the only one I could probably think I could put in that basket, but that makes a lot of sense. Then yeah. you say it back, and I think about the, I mean, the whole show they put together was just next level. Like I just, I hadn't seen anything like that before. Where yeah. it was, I mean, you know, there's band, more and more bands using backing tracks. More and more bands are using, you know, we saw mm. we saw Blink One Eight Two play like just on this last tour we did. We just got back two weeks ago, and we saw yeah. we kind of did like a the trip out on the last day and went and saw Blink One Eight Two play right the stadium, and you know they they didn't even have amps on stage. Um, wow. They were playing, which is, you know, one big check in the box. <laughs> <laughs> Are we setting I mean, the bar too low, though, where we're saying, like, oh, they were actually playing? Yeah, you know, They were actually playing. But is that where we've got to? Is that the point where we're at? Well, in America, it feels like it. Like, oh. I, I feel like there's... But there's... Don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's this amazing, amazing yeah. artist in America. Um, amazing. Like, you know, go vile. Um, the bands yeah. we tour with, Meat Wave, and then, you know, get... Of that whole scene of bands, I mean, they're, and they're great, and obviously, yeah, they'll they'll never do anything like this. But yeah. you know, they're the ones in a van touring around. They're not exactly getting chances to, to play um, stadiums. I mean, Kurt Vols probably the biggest looking down the top of my head. <laughs> I'm sure there's others, yeah, yeah. i.e. Beck, yeah. or, you know, like yeah. and you know, Radiohead used real amps, hey. But um, yeah, it just felt like I don't know in that scene of things and, and the bear before them. So I mean, who was playing? It was all time low. Uh, Edit here. With Blink-182, <laughs> when you saw... With Blink-182, can we just Google this? No, it's going to kill me. You can. Um, I can. All right. So when you saw Blink-182, just recently, yeah. so this is the this is the new incarnation of Blink-182, right? Yes, with Matt Skiba. Right, so what what were your impressions? And Were you a Blink-182 fan previously, going into it? Like, what what were your thoughts on the, the reinvigorated Blink-182? I'm a bit different than a lot of Blink fans. Well, I, I actually don't know. To be like, you know, I gauge my I gauge Blink fans. I look at like you know James who James Tiswell, sidekick guitarist and so he's like the biggest Blink fan I know. Right. Like he's so. But we both agree like that. Oh, my favorite Blink record is actually self titled, and it's really funny because when our band first started in two thousand like three or such like 13 years ago when we first started hanging out to each other music yeah like he he showed me that record and i told him it was a piece of crap and it sounded like church music because it was just so shiny right like the, the sheen the, the american production i couldn't stand it and it was yeah. really weird because you know a few years ago i put it back on it's like oh this is, this record sounds amazing yeah <laughs> yeah like right. aesthetically i found it funny i was like wow when i was younger like i was just still into like that raw 90s aesthetic and stuff but yeah i guess I guess all that sheeny American stuff had come through so much. You, you know, now that Blink-182 record just sounds spot on. It sounds like it hits this sweet spot with like, mm. yeah, there's auto-tuning on the vocals, obviously. Well, they've always had that. But, you know, it's really pronounced on that record. But yeah, the guitars yeah. and the drums are still just so punchy. 
that it just that record sounds awesome. Yeah. So um, sorry, I'm blabbering on. What was your actual? No, question? no, blabbering is good. That's <laughs> I love a bit of blabber. Uh, this podcast. A day is, to remember is oh, all about blabbering. Um, a day to remember is the band. Oh, and okay. they also had no <laughs> amps on stage. We were laughing our heads off because they had these huge backdrops of like machinery and fake PVC pipes going everywhere and like all these like fake amps. But then when they play, they didn't have any real amps. Right. And we're just like, well, why, why would you get stacks of fake amps? I mean, besides the cost, obviously, but like, it doesn't seem a bit weird. You would have this wall of fabric and a set that looks look like it looks like it was worth twenty grand to wow. put this whole thing together. Well, I think had, bands have been TV doing sets. that for ages. Like rock bands have been doing it for ages, where they have oh the whole fake big stacks, thing. but only one of them's plugged in. They'll have like a stack of like four guitar cabs, but only one of them's actually plugged in. The rest are just yeah. But I right. still appreciate that they plug one in. <laughs> like yeah, it's the yeah. real these guys had nothing. It was all wireless. But anyway, I guess I guess maybe the amps are back off in the back of the room. I just it's, like to see the amp. I don't care if there's a wall of fake. I want to see yeah. one real amp. I'm just, I guess I'm just curious to see what they're actually playing as well. You know, going into that world, and obviously you've had far more exposure in that sort of realm than I have. But um, I suppose like there's an element of kind of showbiz when it comes to those kind of high-end, particularly American rock bands. Again, I hope I'm not generalizing too much here. I think like Australian bands, when you come from playing in pubs, I think it can be a bit jarring. Yeah. Like just as an example, and this is different, a little bit different, but it's kind of the same. Um, and it's a story that I've told before, but Jebediah supported the Smashing Pumpkins in Australia in 98. Yes. They, they just did Brisbane, Sydney and, and Melbourne. And we, had, we were the support act and they were doing like entertainment centres and stuff. We'd played with, a, we'd done a few of those kind of size shows with touring bands before, but this was definitely one of the biggest. And I just remember being really surprised going backstage but being in the sort of bowels of the entertainment center and wherever it was sydney or whatever walking past all these change dressing room doors and each dressing room door had the name of a member of the band in it so you know you had billy corgan had his room and james ihar had his room and all the others had their own separate dressing rooms and me and my naivety and the other guys in the band were the same were just really kind of like why are they all in different rooms? Like, what <laughs> yeah. the... Like, that's a bit weird. What's the... Don't they like each other? Like, why are they... I thought my small world of rock and roll and touring was, you know... There's one I big mean, you were lucky room. to even There's get a... Big, you were lucky yeah. to even have a band room. You're you know, nailing it. Alone. If you have a green room, you're but, nailing it. <laughs> that's right. So, like, they were all in individual yeah. rooms. And I just... I was really surprised by that. I was not ready to, <laughs> to have yeah. that... Experience because they were a band that you know I was really into when I was in high school and stuff, and I was kind of a little bit let down. But um, I guess that was just there was a I guess I was just still really innocent, and I thought that bands just fucking hung out with each other all the time. And um, (laughs) but um, I guess it's just another level of stuff, and I like to think that you can get to whatever level you want to or are able to get to without having to. Like subscribe or buy into that kind of stuff yeah. if you don't, you know, if you don't want to. And uh, I don't know. I guess it kind of takes away a little bit of the rom- the romance of rock and roll in my head when I see <laughs> I stuff think, like that. But I think if it gets to a point where you each each band member needs a separate room, like literally set up separate with their own, you know, I think I think it's time for therapy. 
Oh man, I remember seeing like a Pumpkins tour shirt from the nineties, and as a kid, actually, that I remember the dates blew my mind. I remember having things like going, they literally don't have a home, like they literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I could only imagine if Soho did that. We'd need separate rooms. <laughs> like if you did 200 shows over a year, you'd, by the end of it, you'd need separate rooms. But at the same time, like I know what you're saying. It's, yeah. And yeah, as a kid, no, I, I, I remember you told me that story. I remember when you told me that story on tour and I was Yeah, well, was it kind of bit, stuck yeah. with me. I think it probably kind of, you know, was a little bit of a reality check. But no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I definitely acknowledge the fact that like if your band is in a situation where you're touring the globe, fucking 11 months out of every 12 of, of the year. Yeah. And and you're, you're, you're playing these massive shows and you're at that kind of level, then I suppose, you know, you and you have the opportunity to kind of have some comforts. Yeah. And if one of those comforts is having your own room, then fuck, you know. Absolutely. You know, I'm, uh, who am I to judge, having just, <laughs> having just completely judged it? <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I think that moment for us, you know, like a similar moment would be, and not to pray back on these against Mars, but when they, when they were using samples, that really, it, it didn't shock me. It wasn't like I was like, oh, but I really did. I was like, really, like you don't, because what I was like, you don't even need them, you know. Really, I was like, they, they got this amazing guitarist. I mean, they got they got session musicians as band musicians on stage. I just didn't see the need for it, and it was that it's that constant pushing for. I was like, you already have. I just don't. I really didn't get it because I was just like, I don't. You the crowd's showing up cheering their guts out for you guys every night you don't need to reinforce yeah. that and on top of that it's not like you need to play any tighter because i mean from what i could hear when they didn't have tracks on and stuff it was just already locked in and really tight i mean the drum was yeah. already on a metronome anyway i'm pretty sure already on yeah, the click yeah. so it's like well what's the it's like that need to constantly push it further and further it's oh, like yeah. there's a lack of con- there's a lack of content with just like going you know this is it like we can work it at this level, have a big backdrop, have amps on stage and just do a show. <laughs> and that's... I guess, and maybe yeah. there's a pressure to achieve, to always be trying to achieve some kind of perfection, yeah. you know? just keeps on escalating. And I did feel like from what we saw in 2010 to what I just saw at the Blink-182 concert, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of the other dudes, but I kind of think we did all feel it's like, wow, man, it's gone even further now. You know, like yeah. now, now you're at a Blink show and they don't have amps on stage. And, and there was parts where they had like themed guitars you know, so for the encore, they switched and they had matching pink guitars. And it's just like, what? Like, now you need to theme your guitars? Like, I want to see, you know, I want to see that really cool telly you used for those years on that yeah, track. Yeah. I don't want to see some yeah. themed guitar just because it matches the backdrop. Like, who cares? <laughs> um, but look, let's change let's tack see. because I want to talk to you too um, as we're talking about America and you've spent a bunch of time in America. And obviously there's, you know, a very important um, uh, presidential uh, campaign going on over there at the moment. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are, uh, are both um, going for the presidency, and 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 obviously, you know, for a lot of people, well, not just people in America, but people from the rest of the world looking in, it's a it's a pretty fucking crazy time. Mm. So I'd be interested to know from someone who's spent a bit of time over there recently what your sort of impressions were if you kind of got any kind of idea about you know what the uh you know the mood was over there the, the you know the the zeitgeist if you will um <laughs> yeah. i think of just what think the fuck is going on over there everyone i spoke to about it and so of course you got to think this is a this is a group of you know they're soho fans or or you know yeah. pretty like-minded people so yeah. there is um 
but everyone's generally really scared. Um, yeah. Even the people that kept saying, oh, he won't get in, they were still scared and you could see it. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. we were kind of saying, well, we're scared too because he's kind of like, this is the leader of the free world. <laughs> so, I mean, it affects everyone. And um, I, I did not meet one Trump supporter. I, I, I still I was like, no, like, you know, I spent a few days in New York. We toured half the country. I mean, we didn't, but funnily enough, when I say that, I should put in there that we did not go to Florida. We did not go to Texas. Right. <laughs> we did not go to the Carolinas. Of, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we literally yeah, went yeah. up and we went up to Canada and, but yeah, I mean, everyone was just generally freaked out. Um, they didn't agree with anything he said. You know, it, it's, it's just funny. I feel like it's the same thing that happened when Abbott got voted in here. It's just like, you'd look around, you're going, who, who voted for him? Like literally, mm. who? Which one of you? <laughs> which one? And everyone just goes, oh. And it's like there's this weird silent majority, and there's obviously those vocal Trump people out there, but they definitely, I didn't, I didn't see one make America America great again hat worn. I didn't see like just out and about. I didn't get any hint that there was Trump supporters anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but I guess yeah. maybe that's just like people going, oh, you know, you guys have kangaroos jumping around in Australia. And it's like, well, that's not... <laughs> down the street, you know, oh, you guys ride kangaroos to work. You know, it's like, maybe that's me being a bit naive thinking, oh, yeah, you guys just, you know, all walk around saying, I love guns and shooting them in the air. You know, it's kind of a lot of crap. It's just this... Well, I guess, you know, America's a, a, a massive country and I suppose, you know, there's a huge um, part of the population that, you you know, like you said, that yeah. you didn't sort of come in contact with. But, I mean, just talking about, the, you know, the... The Abbott Trump comparison. I mean, to me, the, <laughs> That's a bit the major as well. so should I say Abbott, the major Abbott difference, <laughs> the major difference that I can tell between Abbott and Trump, despite the fact that they're both conservative, that mm. that is their biggest similarity. But the big difference is that Tony Abbott is a career politician. I mean, he was. Yeah, it's a pretty big <clears> difference. He, he was into politics from a very young age, whereas as Trump has never no ever. Yeah. He's got zero experience. He's never been uh, been an elected representative of any kind of office at all. I mean, what it shows to me is just the massive level of disenfranchisement and discontent that must be going on in America oh, yeah. that yeah. people would be willing to throw some fucking yeah. guy who basically is just going to just cause a whole heap of shit. Like, they basically hate politicians and politics so much. And and the other thing that flabbergasts me is that this has come after eight years of Barack Obama. You know, mm. like, that's a huge swing. To think that you could go from Obama to Trump, that is a massive swing from, yeah. like, I, I don't know, from, you know, sort of moderate... We're just, like, middle left crazy. to, like, extreme far right off the scale. <laughs> Like you know, he can he can lie all he wants. He can change. He his says position. anything he wants. He can Nobody change his holds position. Into account and, for anything. and but this is what kind of cracks me up is like usually you go oh but you know you usually see these like Fox Media and stuff. They'll always jump on the Republican bandwagon and and even this time you have more you know usually right wing media. They're slamming him and they'll hold him accountable and they say oh that's a lie and that's a lie and that's a lie. But then all the polls come back and they just don't care. They don't care. Nobody and, cares. And his big thing is that he's anti-establishment. He's like, oh, I haven't been, like you said before, I, haven't, I, have, I don't have a political, I'm not playing the politics game. I literally have so much money. So I'm not, and, well, you know, does he? We yeah, don't know. I know. And then that's the thing. It's like, oh, later on, we don't even know if he's got no money. What do <laughs> we actually, it's absolutely like, crazy. is there any, we don't even know if his hair is real. Nothing about Donald Trump. I, 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 I can't I got see this any awesome trust. pen in San Francisco and you hit it on top like it's a big pen and it's got a Trump head on top and you hit the Trump head 
and it just says always best quotes. It's the favorite. It's one of my most favorite things I've ever bought. It, <laughs> I don't have it here because like it was a present for my wife. She's taken it somewhere, but it's like literally you hit the top of the pan and it just goes. I have all the best words. The best words. <laughs> and then you say the next one, and it just goes. I love China. China's yeah, great. Yeah. I sold an apartment, fifty million dollars. Someone from China. <laughs> it's like that's his basis. That's why you like. I China? have a tremendous company. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes someone like Sarah Palin look. Like a yeah. real politician. Yeah. I mean, we. I thought she was like pr- pretty dangerous. And but she, this is like a whole different level. It's insane. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's 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 scary to watch because there's just this complete disconnection with all the all the usual things which will knock knock any candidate out are gone. It's just a whole new playing field. And it sucks. One thing I will say though is I didn't necessarily meet Hillary supporters. I didn't meet one person. Goes. Mm. They all said to me. Oh, I'm voting Hillary just so it's not Trump. It's it's yeah. just the default. But they're really pissed off, you know, with the whole email thing. They're not necessarily, sure. you know, everyone the the one Bernie Sanders is the name keep name just kept popping up. So especially yeah. for like all these kids showing up to Soho shows and stuff, that was just like, yeah, I, I, I no one loved Trump, no one liked Hillary. They all loved Bernie, yeah. which I'm actually really happy with because I was freaking out. You know, some guy would come to Soho show and just like rip up the mosh pit. <laughs> You'd be like start dealing Trump or something. <laughs> it's like, and I was just it wasn't one. I was so uh, you know <laughs> because I don't know if it, yeah it, it, that would be a bit weird. But um no, it was yeah it, it was just a bit bizarre how um scared everyone else was. And and you know it's funny you start getting into conversations with I got these really weird conversations people after shows about because that arts they're like well how does it work in Australia? How does education work? Or how does and it kind of made you really happy. I mean, like any kind of overseas traveling does really like really happy about being from Australia or just, you know, just because you're just like, oh, well, you know, I got my degree through this scheme where you just basically pay it back if you earn yeah, a yeah. certain amount. So you can be a musician and you don't have to pay it back. And, you know, you know, or if you do get a job eventually, you just got to start paying back yeah. a little bit. Yep. And they're just like, oh, that's insane. I can't believe that. I'm in $60,000 debt to some bank. And you're yeah. like, oh... That really sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're only you're only 24. Yeah. You know, like you shouldn't be worrying about that stuff. And yeah, I know it, it, it's kind of you know it just makes you really happy with and appreciative of like the whole history of like universal healthcare in the country and education system and yeah. So and it, and it, is, it just makes it more scarier when you see like a conservative government come in and then slowly try and like, you know, I, I know they may say differently, but I honestly think conservative governments here honestly try and pick at it and take it away and just slowly kind of dismantle it mm. and it's yeah but you know luckily enough everyone kind of loves medicare and loves um education surprise surprise so anyway well yeah we i mean less I, serious matters <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i'm not even exactly sure when the actual election takes place but it must be pretty soon it's right? soon it's november i think it's around the aries actually i think it's like <laughs> oh, awesome. it? i would imagine I it's the it same is. day that would be. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to care. Yeah, Arias. Trump. Tr- Trump nah, becomes it's... president, and Valenzuela <laughs> with three areas. <laughs> In other news. <laughs> oh fucking hell! It's a circus. Yeah. It really is. Um, okay, well let's um, talk about music and um, just to give us a bit of a backstory about. Um, you know where you grew up. Did you grow up in a, a, a musical? What you would might describe as a musical family? 
Um, what did your parents do, and and what were your sort of first? Uh, what was your first kind of exposure to kind of getting into music growing up? In terms of, um, I come from a big family, so I'm one of five kids. One of five, yeah. Uh, one of five, and yeah, grew up in southern suburbs of Brisbane, you know, Tarragindi, um, Wishart, which is next to Mansfield, but don't worry, it's still four one two two, and another place called Camp Hill. But yeah, they're all pretty close to each other, really. And um, yeah, my mum and dad actually weren't too musically inclined. I, I think their record collection, you know, I actually found in the garage one day these records, and it, it, it was just weird. It was plain weird. There was a Spanish guitar ensemble thing, mm. and I was like going to mum, "Who's is this?" And she's like, "Oh, that's your father's. It's Spanish guitar ensemble." I was like, "When? When were you into Spanish guitar? Like, what? Like, it's like this. Uh, this was never in my childhood or teen. Like, where? And you know, and then there was like one Beatles record, and then which one? You know, Good question. I can't remember. I just remember there's a Beatles record. Yeah, I guess every house has got a Beatles record, right? I just remember there was a Beatles record. It's killing me that I can't... It might actually just have been Let It Be, funnily enough. Oh, yeah. Um, pretty late on, obviously. But yeah, <laughs> which, um, there was, you know, so so mum and dad, not so much. I, I remember mum, you know, used to have... Remember that TV show Heartbeat? That British kind of... I think it was the British version of... Um, I don't know. Like an, an old person's version of a neighbor. Like it was just this really, I just remember it's oldest TV show for older people called Heartbeat. Right. And they had a soundtrack, and the soundtrack <laughs> was actually full of like 50s and 60s pop songs. Right. And okay. Stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, that was about as far as I went. But I guess like oh, a lot of uh, my older brother. So, you know, I got two older brothers, and the oldest one, you know, I remember he got a guitar when he was, you know, 14, I guess. And then, as we all hit, it was like it's like this thing in the boredom family. Like when you turn twelve or something, you got that's when you got your guitar. And then <laughs> in the family got their guitar, and, I, and and you know we would we actually like we actually made this cassette tape and and that was really cool. And he he showed me, but it was weird because when I started really getting into it and like you know so I was borrowing his Nirvana CDs, and Smashing Pumpkin CDs, you know, like he actually started going further. You know, he was in uni by the time I was in high school and stuff. And he was like, oh, check out Radiohead and check out Jeff Buckley and check out. Right. So, you know, I was really lucky. I actually got all these awesome, you know, that that was really the start where I just like, loved music. And I loved writing music. I yeah. mean, from when I picked up a guitar and I had three chords, I write songs. And yeah, yeah. I'd write, I literally, yeah, get home from school and write. And yeah. I I still think my my biggest weakness is actually, I, I'm, I'm horrible. I don't have, I have... I did not have a music encyclopedia for a brain at all. I'll, mm. you know, I think one time I literally mixed up in the car. My wife was playing something and I mixed up. I think I mixed up Pink Floyd and, and the Beatles. My <laughs> 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 wife laughed at me. I was like, I was like yeah. this is a great Pink Floyd song. She's like, it's not Pink Floyd, it's the Beatles, yeah. you idiot. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so, so you don't, bad. You probably don't so, want to be on any televised uh, music quiz shows. No. <laughs> That's probably one of my biggest fears. And I would send... But this is where I'm lucky. And I think this is where Vavanso works is because I'm surrounded by three dudes who know a lot about music. Right. And so, you know, I think that comes into it as well. It's like I honestly get such a good feed of bands from these guys um, who I've known for years and they know my tastes and vice versa. And, and, you know, we just really feed off each other. And that's... Yeah, yeah. I'm very blessed. Um, Because they are are literally musical encyclopedias. Yeah, yeah. um, So... 
but yeah, that's that's kind of where I'd owe my first starting the music to my older brother, really. And then, you know, kept writing songs and started a band when, you know, I was out of high school and then that band became Violent Soho. So, Same four dudes. So you picked up the guitar sort of just as you were kind of getting into high school. And yeah. so did, were all the Violent Soho guys, did you all go to high school together? Yes. Like, so me and Henry actually were the first to first to jam together yeah and he it was different so oh no i was always the guitarist i guess i guess i always had a guitar in my hand but in that one henry was a singer and it was like you know this was the years of new metal and i don't expect i i don't know if i expect (laughs) do tell no some of your caliber to understand (laughs) but you know limp biscuit was good man Limp Bizkit was good. Right, okay. This is part of when you're nine in grade nine and that's just what, <laughs> I don't know. And, that, and me and Henry loved it. Henry kind of fell in and out. I'll, I'll give him some more credit to that. He kind of probably realized a bit sooner than me that it was a bit lame when you're just yelling chocolate starfish yeah. and like that. <laughs> it's cool random. man like when i was when i was sort of <laughs> just getting in like just at the start of high school i was still listening to bon jovi so you know <laughs> we're all everyone has their secrets yeah that's right but yeah. um so yeah henry and i remember i had this one song i can just see all my friends rolling their eyes if they hear this but basically this one song called baby boomers go boom and right. i was really proud of that song it's kind of like a way you get the machine <laughs> And it was like, baby boomers go boom. Oh, yeah. I can imagine it. I had a really good mosh beat vibe going. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we went through different members. We had we had a different drama. We, yeah. And and basically, so it was like thrown throughout high school. And, and my first time I played with Mikey was actually in a chapel band because like we went to a Christian school. One right. period a week, you basically got into a chapel and sung worship songs. I absolutely hated it. I absolutely cringed and hated it i i hate i hated the idea that they were forcing people to sing i hated the idea that they that we weren't you know it's like it wasn't optional i I, it really pissed me off that i couldn't just go to the library and actually study if i wanted to i actually was forced to sing to you know in my head some invisible entity that it just felt like a waste of you know i was just not into it so all you guys went to a christian school yeah yeah so your parents um, christian yes and still are should i say or I, can't, I mean, I can't speak for everyone else's parents, but I know mine are. But it was, it's, it's gone through different levels of intensity. Like, you know, my dad's retired now and, and basically he just donates his time at an op shop and, and mum, she works at the library at the school. So, you know, they're still very Christian, but I definitely know over the years it's kind of wavered and they've probably tapered off a bit. They're not as intense as they were back when mm. I was a, a child or, you know, they were raising young kids and... Yeah, but um, how and yeah, so, and so how how did growing up in that kind of Christian environment, you know, affect you? You know, in terms of like, you know, what you how you grew up and what you believe in now and all that kind of stuff. Like, was it you know, did you sort of well, rebel and all that kind of stuff? One one thing that got to me was when I went to uni, and I mean, yeah, I rebelled. Like, you know, I got I got caught doing graffiti once. I got caught with a bottle of Bundy rum at school once. Which was really odd because I was actually like, I got really good grades and yeah. I, 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 I kind of had this, I didn't ever get up teachers or have fights with teachers. I just, I kind of had this, I just got along with them really. But I was, so they're always surprised when they found me like a bowl of Bundy rum at school or something. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> they're like, you're, you know, you were like one of the best kids. Why are you doing this stuff? And I literally didn't even have an answer. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But um, that's just being a teenager. But basically, exactly, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think like when I went to uni and, 
I remember one thing that kind of affected me was there was this kind of it was I don't know it was hatred of homosexuality, but it was just so it was like talked against like it was this um, big horrible sin and blah blah blah, and, and yeah. it was it was made to be so weird. And I remember I met this guy at uni who was just working on a project with him, and he was you know it's like oh I am gay and and I was just like oh and I even thought differently of him in my head, and mm-hmm. I just thought that was so disgusting that mm-hmm. because of this kind of conditioning, yeah. I was looking at this person differently. Yeah. And that's not right. Yeah. And then on top of that, obviously, just being introduced to a whole different environment that's not com- completely underpinned by by religion. Just yeah. really, that was just, you know, it's university. It's completely open, obviously. And I, I don't know, it just really changed my viewpoints on... So, I mean, the biggest thing I learned was, I was like, wow, it's you really have to be an independent thinker in this world. You really have to... You can't take anyone's word on anything. You can't... Mm. You know, and these institutions are, can really be thin and these organizations that can, you know, and they can... You know, I, I thought it was crazy and I, and I look back I was like it's crazy that we teach that this stuff was taught to kids and I, I will say in that school's defense like I think it's definitely tapered down now it's just nowhere near as heavy as it used to be mm. um, yeah like there was this I remember we, and, and we kind of as we all grew up and the rest of the band as well we kind of look back on it and we're like wow it's we watched this documentary called Jesus Camp and and the rest of the world was like well this is shocking like you know what they kind of push these kids into doing like these you know, hours of worship sessions and yeah, and we're like, oh, our school was kind of like that. In fact, wow. it was. <laughs> yeah. We're just like, oh, we didn't realize like, you know, when you're in it, when you're a child, right. it's like, yeah. oh, this is normal. This is what yeah. everyone does, right? Yeah. And then, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just kind of came out with it. I, I don't have, I, I, think, I think, you know, churches or those local community groups, I mean, they actually do good stuff for the community as well, I should say. They, they actually do do a lot of stuff where, you know, where you know, they help out with homeless. They actually go do like food runs and all this type of, yeah, and, and send a lot of money overseas. Um, but at the same time, that the kind of part I hate of it is when it's kind of like it becomes very organized and institutionalized, and then hierarchies start getting in there, and then all of a sudden they start collecting money to spend on big advertising campaigns, and it, it just becomes it's like, well, this started out as this kind of human mission of goodwill. And it's ended up with this weird American vibe of evangelicals, mm. <laughs> you know, this evangelical vibe. And, and it's just, it's not, this isn't what I thought, you know, religion mm. should be. Or, or if you're, you know, if you're a big fan of Jesus, of what, you know, the type of stuff he was preaching of, of how to behave towards other humans. And yeah. yeah, it just felt like, it felt like it was a very judgmental environment as well. Yeah. And... Yeah, I think I really came out the like the other end, just going the opposite. I was like, no, I want to be a complete independent thinker. I don't ever want a religion or someone to tell me how to think towards other people. And and on top of that, yeah, I definitely don't want to judge people. I I don't want to be the opposite. I don't, I want to just tell people that you know they can live life exactly how they want to be, and and I feel that's normal as long as you're not harming someone else and you know being hateful towards someone else. I think that's a good way to live. Absolutely, you know, and look, I think. There are probably a lot of people, you know, that grow up um, without uh, that kind of, re- you know, being institutionalized by religion or whatever, and still, gr- and still sort of develop um, ideas about how the world should be. Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, even without that yeah. kind of, and and also yeah. too, you know, I, I look, I was, I was, I wasn't brought up with religion, and you know, my parents were atheist, and. Um, you know, I, I think we're probably all we're all institutionalized in in, in our own ways, right? You know, of course, we're yeah. all a product of our of our upbringings and our environments, and um, 
um, whether that's religion or not. You know, I mean, if you yeah. grow up without religion, I definitely got to an age, you know, and as I came out of high school, you know, this is probably the same time that you were sort of questioning the way that you were brought up. I was brought up without that sort of grounding, and I and I was looking for it. You know, I was looking for some kind of meaning, um, yeah. and didn't have any kind of grounding in anything, which I'm grateful for because it it meant that I had this open, you know, I had an op- open book to kind of, but mm. I did, but I had to look for it and search for it, and you know, and and still sort of try and you know figure out what I believed in and what I thought was right and what I thought was wrong. So, I mean, I yeah. think the fact that you know, you know, you came from that background and was still able to come out of that and some kind of uh you know good strong ideas about what what is right and wrong i think is you know i think it's that's admirable oh, it's yeah oh yeah I and mean, i don't think it's it's nothing that you know i had this really bad moment with my parents because we talked about this stuff with in with, uh, rolling stone article and mm. this interviewer rod yates i think is actually a brilliant journalist I discovered because he just showed up when we were recording um, Waco, last record, and he showed up and he just basically sat down this recorder and asked us like one question and then just let us talk. <laughs> and honestly, it went for hours. And, he dug up. <laughs> he, and we just finished us blubbering all this stuff out. We've never told yeah, him. Yeah. And we're just like, oh my gosh, like what have we done? We were actually just going, crap. That guy basically just had a therapy session with us. It's all on record <laughs> and it's going on Rolling Stone. And that's all the stuff that we talked about. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and uh, and my poor mum, you know, she got, it was pretty horrible because the record came out. I flew back home. We did these signings. I flew back home, and it was my older sister's fortieth birthday. I show up. I literally got my backpacks and stuff, and and my mum's like, "Oh, I'm really happy. You know, you got the cover of Rolling Stone. That's I'm really proud of you." But the article made me really upset and made me cry, uh... and I didn't realize. I was like, "Oh no, it wasn't." You know, so it's, it's it's horrible because you're like, no, you know, my parents <laughs> worked their butts off to send me this private school. Yeah. And I felt so horrible because I was like, oh, no, it's not, you know, the education was brilliant in terms of <laughs> of, the, of yeah. the actual useful stuff. You yeah. know, <laughs> it was like, that was completely worth it. Please don't take it the wrong way. So it's 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 awkward because you don't want to, you don't want to knock down the good parts no, that come out right. of it. It's you know, yeah. it's, but it's just... The reality is, it's just kind of like I don't agree with. That's right. At the same you know time, I had to decide a hard time with my mom. It's like I just don't agree with. You yeah. know, I don't. I don't agree that being yeah. gay is wrong. I don't yeah, agree. It's a hard that, thing. You know, all, all these other aspects are, are wrong, and that was just yeah, and that's a bit hard hitting, and that's it's one part. But at the same time, I was like, well, you know what? I'm kind of thankful that happened because you don't. You know, I guess a lot of people would disagree that parents don't obviously always go and talk to them about it. Yeah, and it kind of forces you to, because you know yeah. you're. Ask your public your opinion in public, and you. That's right. You want yeah, to be and I think and that's honest. the hard thing. Yeah. yeah, when it's you know, out in public. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I I get what you're saying. You know, you, it's it's hard because you don't want to completely dismiss you know your parents for for what they've done and how they've brought yeah. you up. But at the same time, you know, you're your own person, and you you know. Yeah. And yeah, you got to figure shit out for yourself eventually. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's keep moving on. I want to do the uh, iTunes yeah, top twenty five <laughs> thing. Um, all right. So sweet. yeah. So basically, for people who are listening who haven't heard the podcast before, um, we do this thing at the end where uh, I ask my guest uh, to uh, reveal their top twenty five most played songs on iTunes and uh, and see what kind of weird shit we uncover because. 
as I'm sure you will agree when we because we talked a little bit before we started recording about this um how often the stuff that ends up on your most played <laughs> list can in no ways can it uh, <laughs> actually kind of uh uh, be a a good kind of indicator of what you listen to. Now you were talking to me, um, you know, when we were setting this up about how a lot of the songs on your list were um, vocal warm up stuff that you would yeah. listen to. So tell me, yeah, tell so me I about that to... because I'm interested as someone who you know, as a singer and someone who's never ever done vocal warm ups and and quite recently had to, you know, last year uh, Jebs did this uh, big tour. Our twentieth anniversary tour, and we would do, we we played like for two and a half hours every night, and we, the longest we'd ever spent on stage ever. Crazy. And um and my voice, but after crazy. a month of that, my voice was fucked. It was it was completely yeah. ruined. And for the first time in twenty years, I took myself to a ear, nose, and throat specialist and got the a um endoscopy. You know, the uh, where they stick a little um this tiny little wire up your nose. And then it goes down your throat and they check out your throat for, you know, to see if you've got, you know, any problems, nodules or anything's ruptured or whatever. As it turned out, everything, it was fine. I'd obviously just like worn my voice out, but I was convinced for a while there that I'd done some fucking pretty permanent, um, permanent yeah. damage. So yeah, tell me, Scary. tell me about your, uh, <laughs> about your vocal, vocal b- Yeah, well you wallet. said you go top 25 and I go, oh, that's interesting. I opened it up and it was literally most of its vocal warmups. The other part too, I reopened it up. And I was like, oh, it's actually a lot of um, Soho demos sure. when we were recording. And I was yeah, like, oh yeah. my gosh, yeah, that's it. Because I literally would have hammered them. Totally. So, um, like, mixed notes and all. Yeah, so, the um, yeah, the vocal warm-ups came about because I lost, I lost my voice. You know, I, I realized once we started doing, like, hour-long sets and, you know, premium after Hungry Ghost, like, I used to, you know, because, you know, when we supported Jebediah, like, it's not 30 minutes, 40 minutes at most, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, and basically I just lost my voice once every tour and it even still happened. You know, I think I just obviously do a lot of screaming. Mm. Um, you know, I, yeah, and sometimes you just get a bit carried away. And Well, totally. And yeah, you're, you're, forcing, the, you're forcing yourself to... You're forcing your voice to do things that are pretty unnatural, for starters. And also, yeah. you're doing it night after night where you're not and you're not sleeping properly or like yeah. you're not in a very healthy still, kind of environment. Yeah, and, so. and even... Yeah, even in America, we had to cancel the show because my yeah, voice it's, again. It's it, the it's worst. Just, it's a constant hindrance with me, and it's pretty frustrating. And then, like, yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. But I think I've been going better at it. And the vocal warm-ups were just. I, I like you. I went and saw a I saw a vocal coach here in Brisbane, and she basically said, "The more you do this, the stronger your chords will be. Do it before shows, so you're probably warmed up." And and she goes, "Oh, and by the way, just don't ever drink alcohol." <laughs> what? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was that's, like, I'm cool. That's with non-negotiable. That's non-negotiable. Like, that's... <laughs> she goes, oh, well, and but she kind of like just goes, oh, you can do what you want. But but yeah, yeah. If, as, you know, a... you're having, and I was like, oh, okay. And I kind of realized, I realized how important, you know, it's it's sleep and, but it's tough because you walk off stage and, you know, you're, if you're in city for in Sydney for one night or, you know, you, you want to hang out with friends and you want to go do stuff, but you just kind of, look, I can't. I literally have to go and keep my. Well, yeah, I think it's completely unrealistic. It's fair enough. It's unrealistic to think that, like, at the end of a gig, you can just go go off to your home and just go to bed. Good night. Well, that's it. Makes it's completely unrealistic because by the end of the night you're completely on a high, or or you know, if it's a bad night, you're on a devastating low. 
but still, yeah. it's very hard to just switch off. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's an easy thing to get paranoid about because there is that pressure of, I mean, you can't just, well, like I said, you've cancelled shows before. I've cancelled probably very few shows in my life, but it, there is, a, you know, a lot of pressure. Like, Oh, the, the, but funny enough, the first the first show we cancelled due to me being sick was the Jebediah tour. Oh, that's right. But we didn't do... That's right. We never yeah. did to And I felt, I was honestly... Uh, Tidswell had to tell me, dude, you can't. And I was I was like, no, I'll be fine. And then he said over the phone, and this is we like leaving the next morning at five in the morning or something. He just goes, he goes, can you even stand up? And I was like, <laughs> let, let me try. <laughs> My legs... And I couldn't stand up. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh. And I was like, all right, call it in. I can't do it. <laughs> and I, it was honestly the worst flu of my life. Like, I was actually, that was, because um, we did get the tour back up. Because there was actually a two-week gap or something. So, I was really lucky. So, I actually mm. had two weeks to get over it before yeah, the yeah. rest of the shows. Because I remember Melbourne and then two weeks and then everything else yeah, kicked yeah, in. Right. So, yeah, that's really funny. I just realized that memory. Of, like, yeah, yeah, actually, totally. Yeah, I forgot about, about that. Canceling re- shows. That yeah, was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you cancelled <on> us. <laughs> Okay, it's all Jebediah. All right, so top 25 on RGN. Have you got okay. it in front of you? Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. so I'm just going to th- sort of throw a number at you and tell me what it is. Um, right. What's at number uh, 22? Oh, we have my latest obsession. Um, a band called Bad Bad Not Good from Canada. Have you heard these guys? No. They're like What's this the song? What's the song? 22 Triangle. So it's off an album called Three. And these guys are basically instrumental. They're a bunch of jazz kids who are like jazz hipster kids. And I know that's like, oh, okay, it's going to be like... <laughs> but it's like, if you actually listen to it, it's it's really good. And I just got... It was like one of, like on the tour bus, I started putting my headphones on and, and just like, I'm falling asleep to it, but just it was like meditating or something on... Oh, this is what good music sounds like. Meditate on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was just so, like so yeah, completely became, instrumental, no vocals at all. Yeah, and it's like really they're like jazz. They're proper jazz musicians, mm. and they're actually pretty popular. They do a lot of albums with um, like rappers. Okay. So I think that yeah, they um, yeah yeah. I've actually just been listening to their their own releases, which is like it's te- it's deemed electronic because like they use a lot of trap beats and mm. and all that weird stuff. So yeah. So is there a certain uh, kind of particular time where you might like a particular mood or environment where you might listen to that? <laughs> yeah, that's more post that's show. That classic <laughs> background <laughs> post show. Just headphones on, everyone go away. I can't talk. I can't talk. <laughs> but um yeah, I think I think that's your kind of meditative background music. Yeah. You know when you're doing something you're like, "Oh, but and it can't be something with heaps of vocals because you're just like like, like cooking." Yes. Yeah, or drawing. I don't I'm I don't cook much, but yeah, yeah, like something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I literally I put it on the other day when I was just like doing a bunch of band emails and stuff and I was just like, Man, this is good. And yeah. um yeah, the guy runs our label, Johan, like he's he's a bit obsessed too. I think Henry's into it. Yeah, it's just but it is, it's like warning, it's it's literally just instrumental like mm. jazz but mixed up with like modern yeah. trap beats. Like you can hear it's like you can hear like it's literally sounds like rapping backing tracks. So you can see why there's a lot of like hip hop dudes and rappers yeah. like attracted to it to do stuff with it because it's like, yeah, Tyler, the, they did something Tyler, the creator. They're doing all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, They're yeah. like pretty, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's really cool. And I actually didn't know, I knew they're doing like rap, rap. I didn't know they had these other records they just did on their own stupidly enough. And yeah, I, they were on Rage one night 
That's how I found them. They just oh, okay. showed up on Rage. God and, bless um, yeah, Rage. Yeah, we're on tour. I know. And I forget who was who was DJing or picking the songs or whatever, but yeah, that's how I found them. I find it difficult to have music on in the background if I've got stuff to do because I often find that I just find music too distracting. So like... Yeah. Someone yeah. like you would probably start analyzing it as well. I do that. Yeah, like I'll, I'll start analyzing the structure. Yeah. It's like, well, that's interesting what they did there. <laughs> it's like I'll be, you know, I'll be hanging out with my wife, right? And, you know, just as the music starts, you know, we'll be getting into it. And then she'll start wanting to, like, talking to me, having conversations. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> the only way that I can have a conversation with you is if we turn this music off. I need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't do that. <laughs> the worst is in the car. If you're in the car and you're driving along and then it's turned up. And then, like, you know, someone else wants to start talking. You're like, oh, this is, it's getting to the best part. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. Shush, shush. And it's like, and it's like well, actually, maybe I should I should show more interest in the other person. I've heard the song I've heard 20 times. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's something I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I'm definitely a one thing at a time person. <laughs> but yeah if, yeah, if you do want to try something which is, you know, without the vocal, then that's a yeah. recommendation. Sure. All right, let's go to another number. What about what's right. it? What's the number twelve? Oh man, you got to. I have like Missy Elliott in here, and I have Vince Staples in here, and you keep picking the weird stuff. <laughs> but what's there? <laughs> well, I don't know what it is. I'm just throwing random numbers. I'm letting the universe. Stuff. I got like that, and I. Oh, this is so embarrassing. So I don't know how to pronounce it, but like super famous German crowd rock. Like it's and you know any use so as like new, but it's German. I think you pronounce it like. Noir or something. Oh, I yeah. Okay. So the you band. You Like, oh, I swear if you yeah, saw yeah. the album cover with the yeah, big yeah. red marker. I've and heard of the song you. is the opening track is called Hello Gallo. Hello and um, it's literally a 10 minute. You just pick the weirdest. <laughs> it's a 10 minute, 10 minute kind of, again, no no vocals on that song. And uh, yeah, it's it's literally, I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is where Radiohead stole some stuff from. Right. And so that's where I was like, ah. Oh, and, and like you know, it's it's a lot of that stuff with that um, crowd rock stuff. For I hope I'm again. I think I'm mispronouncing that, so I can see everyone rolling their eyes. But it's you know, there's just a lot of stuff that happened. I was actually we played an ATP festival over in England at the end of 2011. I think it was just after we like a few months after we took with you guys. Okay, yeah. And it, you know, so these Ultimate Rose parties festivals are awesome because you know they're curated. There's like three days, and we were on the La Savvy Fab Day. And so the other days they have like um, presentations and stuff. And I literally just stumbled into this, to this, I, I saw in the corner of the festival map, there's like, and there's, there's festivals only got like 3000 people for the whole weekend. It's pretty tiny. And um, they're like, oh, these workshops, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, presentations over here by like some artists. And I was like, oh, I'll go check that out. I stumbled in. It was awesome. It was like this <laughs> photographer who did this stuff at Radiohead and like all these awesome British bands. And then like, oh, stick around for like, and they did like this hour long presentation on, I hope I'm pronouncing this wrong. Kraut rock, Kraut rock, Kraut rock. I keep thinking. Am I pronouncing that right? Kraut rock. Yeah. Yeah. K R A U T. I know the spell yeah, yeah. and everything. I know where it comes from. Yeah. Okay. Kraut rock. And and it was awesome. And I, I was like, oh wow. And I don't know. Just now and again, I always like best Kraut rock album. You know. And so yeah. Now and again, it comes to my list. But this song, I'm, I'm not even that massive on the album. Like I'm not. I'm not going to play this album twenty times over. But that song in particular is something about it. It's got this awesome beat. It's got this really cool wah guitar thing going on. And it just, it sounds like Kid A, 20 years before Kid A came along or more later Radiohead stuff. It's just like, 
really cool like from like what that's probably the late 70s that came out or something or the early 80s so yeah that's another weird you just pick the weird number I was for some reason I always thought no, but I knew I've heard of Mew and I used to have one of their records. I got into one of their records. I don't know what it's. I can't remember what it's called. It was like probably came out about ten years ago, two thousand and six. Um, yeah. I always thought they were Scandinavian, and they always reminded me a little bit of oh. um, Sugar Ross as well. Yeah, yeah, they got that. Oh, I love all that. You know, mm. that kind of really moody, atmospheric stuff. I'm a sucker mm. for it. I yeah. just think it's awesome, and, and and it's sorry. I actually got the date here, nineteen seventy two. Uh, I just realized it's on the iTunes list right in front of me. 1972 is when that song came out. When you hear it, it just sounds like it's years ahead. Yeah, years. Wow. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like one of those things you just pick back the layers like you hear. You know, you might start right ahead and then you get four layers deep and you find, yeah, yeah. you know, there's probably some other obscure band below them. That, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of, you know, and then, yeah, so. All right, well, let's, what about, uh, we'll do one more and let's more. just let's All just right. go to number one. Fun. Let's go to number one. I, don't, oh, I really, one, I right, really oh. do this, but let's do it. This one, <laughs> he's pulled out a special. Um, this one is a song called Numb But I Still Feel It by a band called Title Fight. So yep. this was a band. Have you heard of Title Fight? No, I haven't. They're like... Are they American? Just when you think... Yes, they're American. <laughs> um, they are from... I actually don't know. I have yeah, a from like America. Long Island, Jersey, <laughs> Philly... Philly, somewhere like great, like Northeast. They're from Northeast. I was just trying to pick exactly where, but I know they're from Northeast. And um, basically, it's absolutely awesome. It's it's weird, like with this song and this song in particular, this one song. Just when you think you've given up on like heavy music or music <laughs> which has aggression or music that like makes you want to punch a hole in the wall, <laughs> I heard that song and I was like, oh no, the world's not done yet. <laughs> this is, and I'm not done yet. This is uh, awesome, and it completely just pumped me up this one song really did pump me up so is this something that you might listen to before you go on stage do you listen to music before you go on stage or not i don't i don't do that but like we started doing it as a joke i don't know we found it kind of funny like on the on the last waco tour like we were putting on like bloodhound gang and just weird stuff like that (laughs) yeah we actually had this random idea to get them out to support us for the next tour (laughs) 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 and like we actually got we actually asked them because we just thought, imagine getting Bloodhound Gang. Like, imagine. Yeah, look, <laughs> is that possible? It's just, and I, we it's just, went just this... weird enough to work, Luke. Exactly. That's where... <laughs> I think it was Mikey who suggested it, and we all yeah. laughed. And it's then there's that moment where everyone stopped work. laughing, and everyone starts staring at each other and going, yeah. but what if? What if we got Bloodhound Gang? <laughs> well, that would be awesome. <laughs> and that would be hilarious. And like, and then so, yeah, I think we ended up asking them, and then they're like, whatever, I'm going to come to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, but I thoroughly, if you, it's kind of got that hardcore, like a little bit hard. It, I, don't, I don't know though. I just think, oh man, number I still feel it. That one song in particular. And any Title Fight fan would be just going, yes, yes, that's the song. Like, and I mean, look, really immediately good. the name of the band Title Fight, it gives an immediate, to me, an yeah. immediate impression about what's definitely on that hardcore expect. scene, you know. You yeah, know, it's, it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's got like, they, you know, they, and I, I regret I didn't discover the band till kind of after this album because that that song's from 2012, but it's literally addictive. It's what's in number one, and it's literally um, I missed like they would come out and do all ages shows and literally playing, like from what I heard, uh, like a, pretty much a shed, you know, and, and and local. And I I was lucky enough to see them play Brisbane and Brightside last time they came out. Yeah, awesome show, 
And then, yeah, I'm pretty sure the next day they played like, you know, one of those bowls club shows somewhere. Okay. You know, all ages, just all ages. And they spent from America and they're coming over and playing bowls clubs just sitting up on the ground. So they got that real kind of hardcore band work ethic backing yeah. them up. But then to me, it sounds more like just awesome pop punk on steroids, just like really aggressive. And um, yeah, it just really, that song in particular just really got me pumped on. You know, I, I guess I was in this period where I was like writing more softer stuff, which is fine. You know, I, I actually, I like writing all that stuff. And But that, you know, when I hear music like that, I'm just like, oh, give me three chords and drop totally. three. And just shred it up because yeah, it's yeah, just too awesome. much fun. It's too much fun. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, to finish up, Luke, I just want to finish up on a final note about, you know, just to try and sort of summarise about why, you, why you've been playing music for ages, what keeps you inspired, you know, what is it about music that, you know, affects your life in such a positive way and what, what makes you wake up every day and just want to keep doing it? Oh, heavy question, but a good one. I think... <laughs> You can do it, so, but it's this. Can I just put it in context? Think this of title. Is, no, I don't think. I think. I think in this. I think in this reference, we're like we're talking about before we're going to that Aria press, <laughs> press thing today. Yeah, and yeah. that can get real tiring because you're like, this is not why I joined a band. Absolutely. It's not why well, that's a great but, reference. But, that's a great reference but, point. You know, come full yeah, circle. Yeah. You know. I so, like so the thing I do love about the type of music Vonso plays or writing music is, and especially from you know, I read this interview where. I'm so bad with names, but this guy kind of produced a lot of um, Nick Cape records. I forget his name. He's a really famous producer, actually. And he basically said this thing that stuck with me, and he said there's two types of musicians. There's ones who are very tight, and they can play any scale back to front, and you record them, and they're doing one take, and it's great. Then there's a type of musicians that work on nothing but feel, and this producer loves working with those musicians, the ones that work on nothing but feel. And I think, I don't know, I just think there's something so powerful about the fact a kid no matter what their upbringing can go by a hundred dollar guitar and can like literally like make a song that changes the world. You know, yeah. one of those kids was Kirk Cobain. Yeah. You know, he didn't have this privileged upbringing. There's something really powerful about that. And that says something really powerful about you know, art and culture in general is that it has this unique power to cut through all lines of mm. society or upbringing or entitlement or, and yeah, I think something like some that really resonates with me for some reason. I love the fact that when, we play Soho shows. There's like, you know, there's just this connection with, and like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where the, these people come from or what their fucking day job is or what their views on anything are really, unless they're Donald Trump voters. Then <laughs> that in. But it's, it's kind of, but it's kind of like, it just really, music just has that power. It can just cut through all lines of communication. Something completely innate in everyone. Yeah. That they can feel. And everyone feels music. And it's just kind of like, and I think that's why I love creating it. I just love creating that connection. I love playing shows where, you know, and it was so much fun in America. We went over there and, you know, because we play larger rooms here and then we were literally back in 300 cap rooms there. And it was great because it's just like all these people are, you know, most times are just circling us just kind of like, and they're right there and they're just screaming the lyrics back in your face and they're just right there. And it was so cool. Yeah. And um, I don't know, something about that, yeah, that just keeps drawing me back to wanting to make music, yeah, um, and, and and wanting to share it with everyone. It's it's kind of weird because you don't want to be that like egotistical dude who's just like, I want everyone to hear my songs. My songs are brilliant. <laughs> everyone should hear me. But it's kind of like, yeah. But, but it, everyone, that's what's so cool about it though, is because everyone has this unique way of making music, and it's so special to every single different 
guy picks up a girl who picks up a guitar and and does something with it yeah and that's what's so cool and it can be so simple yeah but it how powerful is it you know so yeah i love that i love that about music i just love how it's like you don't need you literally just need a you know a cheap guitar or a hand-me-down from a brother or sister you know just and in my case make, it was yeah an, just something to make noise yeah. yeah i know and it's like an 80 dollar nylon string guitar from from the rite of passage through Borden Boys, <laughs> and that's that's what started me. And I, I, I knew yeah. three chords, and I'd write songs with three chords. It would just it felt good to write songs and express myself that way, rather than you know whatever else, you know I guess playing sport or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah I hope I don't know it's not a very clear distinction. No, that's so, awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um. All right. Thank you so much, Luke, for joining me on the Bobcast tonight i'm Thank glad you. we managed to get our way through those technical issues um, we did get there and yeah all the best uh i know you've got lots of touring and stuff coming up um and all the best you know regardless of you know whether the pointy trophies you know what what they mean <laughs> what they don't mean i wish you all the best of luck with that as well and uh yeah thanks a lot for chatting well, good luck to you me. too you also have a norm <laughs> So, good a luck. I don't mean that's silly. Thanks, mate. I'll, yeah, look, no, I'll, thanks I'll be, me. I'll be in the cheap seats at the back while uh, you guys are at the front <laughs> eating fucking caviar. And yeah, Well, you guys are, you guys might even be performing at the Arias. Who knows? We um, might. It wouldn't, we might. It would Who not knows? surprise me. I'm not privy, oh, that'd be fun. I'm not privy to this cool. kind of information, but I would probably, I would be, wager a bet that there's a good chance that might happen. Um Thanks a lot, Luke. That would be cool. All the best, mate. Thanks, Kev. Thank you. There you are.